This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 457 on the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Total Saddle Fit, and Dr. Rose's Remedies. Tonight, we are going to continue with our Young Horse series with Michael Bragdell and five-year-olds. Reese and Richard Malgren will recap the Carl Hester Masterclass that took place in Wellington last week, and of course, we have a great trainer tip. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Loxahatchee, Florida. This is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. So maybe you could tell us what's going on in Wellington. Yeah, you guys, I feel bad. And everybody on the Northeast, we're thinking about you because it sounds like a really bad storm hit there, too. Well, they so. got it worse than we did. Yeah, we're Ooh, fine. Terrible. But yeah, they got a bunch mm. of stuff down there. Yeah. Yeah, lost power. So we're thinking about you guys. Um, but it, it has been, it's been really great down here. I'm not going to lie. Very busy. You know, season is in full swing. Um this week has been nice from the standpoint of there's just a national show. There's no uh, CDI this week, uh, which is kind of nice because then uh, we get a little extra training from our trainers that would be showing in the CDI, uh, which is nice. And it's sort of it's a down week, but it's been a busy week for me training wise, which has been <sighs> lots of fun. Reese, you forgot your highlight. Oh, my highlight was. I came and watched the dressage <laughs> test come? with you. You did last week. Yes. I had to think about what I was like, what day was that? You it's always kind of like what you're up to. Yeah, I do. It's Groundhog's Day here because it really is kind of the same day every day. So <laughs> that's right. Glenn, stop by. You should check out our Facebook. And he came just in time to see Adrian Lyle and Laura Graves. So he literally yep. picked the two best the last ones. <laughs> <laughs> two best riders and the two best American riders that rode that weekend. Uh, I was like, okay, I'm done. I watched my two dressage tests. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> he was out. And I was like, that was it. It was, it. It was all I needed to handle? see. What else could I, would I want to watch after watching those two? It was <laughs> like, that's really. it. I'm good now. Wow. It was right. great. He had, he, had, he had quite a good time. It was time. a five star too. So It was a five star yeah. and uh, it was phenomenal. And so. then we went shopping. I know. It was fun. <laughs> I like those. I like those business meetings. Those were fun. Dressage and shopping. Yes. So yeah, that was super fun. So I know Glenn got to come and visit. You were on your way uh, for the Florida podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, from the Finding Florida podcast. We we went and did an adventure over the weekend and I thought, well, I'm going to stop and see Reese on my way. <laughs> It was so fun. So that was a very fun highlight. And then actually the next day, my husband, Travis, came for a visit. That's why I had to really think about it. I'm like, all the good I, looking men in your life, except for Phil. <laughs> yeah, I needed, I needed Phil and then I would have been all upset. But we, uh, so that's why I really had to think about it. But um, the horses are all going well here and, and really in full swing and, and going for it. They're all, their coats are coming out and got big dapples. So we're doing well. So I had great lessons yesterday and, and carrying on for tomorrow and all that good stuff so so we do we have a great show this week i hope you guys are all going to enjoy it we're going to start with michael bragdell he is uh, the director of training at hilltop farm uh he's going to talk about five-year-olds and then richard malgram's going to come on and uh we're going to recap the master class that happened in wellington and then phil and i have a great trainer tip so after this break from kentucky performance products we're going to come back with michael bragdell 
This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Commercial feeds are fortified with nutrients such as proteins, vitamins, and minerals. They are made up of a variety of ingredients that provide a particular amount of energy. Most feeds have been designed to address the needs of a certain type of horse. It is important to understand that all feeds are formulated by nutritionists to be fed in specific amounts. When the correct amount of feed is provided, the horse consumes the appropriate amount of energy and nutrients. The feeding directions included on the feed bag or the feed tag are specific to the particular feed and should be followed. When you feed less than the recommended amount of feed, your horse is not getting the full complement of nutrients that he or she may need. On the other hand, too much of a good thing can also be bad. The overfeeding of concentrates can lead to grain overload and oversupplementation, and feed should never be cut or mixed with other fortified feeds or plain grains because this changes the nutrient profile and can cause imbalances in energy, protein, vitamins, and minerals. If you need to include additional supplements in your horse's diet, choose products that are formulated to complement, not compete with fortified feeds. If you feed a plain grain such as oats, additional fortification may be necessary. Kentucky Performance Products supplements are specifically designed to complement, not compete with the modern concentrates used by today's horse owners. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards in certified facilities using stringent quality control guidelines. So choose Kentucky Performance Products supplements because the horse that matters to you matters to them. Learn more about Kentucky Performance Products supplements at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, tonight for our continued series on young horses, we are so honored to have our friend Michael Bragdell. He is the director of training at Hilltop Farm and no stranger to the Young Horse Program. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Reed. We we are so happy to have you. And uh, I was looking at your bio, and I actually couldn't count how many Young Horse shows you've been to. Do you even know? A lot. Uh, yeah, it's been a few. I. I... Over the years, I don't know how many it's been, but um, there's been a, a slew of uh, of young horses that have qualified and, and gone to the championships over the years. I love it. I love it for sure. So, t- so today we're specifically talking about five-year-olds. So, um, yeah. and you work with many young horses. So tell us, you know, what do you expect sort of a normal five-year-old to do? And then if you are ready and preparing that five-year-old for the national championships, so let's start with sort of the normal five-year-old. What do you normally do with that horse? Um, the five-year-olds, I, I think the the young horse classes to start with, for me, it's it's I use it more as a guideline for my young horses um, of what I would like them to do. It doesn't always uh, match up because of um, how they are growing. Um you know, both physically and mentally. Um, so it just depends a little bit on each, each horse and 
um, how I'm going to bring it along to the next to the next step. Um, if you're looking at it from them coming out of doing the four-year-olds, for example. Right. So tell us basically what is in the five-year-old um, FEI five-year-old test. So the, the, the five-year-old test in, in comparison to four-year-olds, it's four-year-olds, you know, I, I really like that test. It it's, doesn't really overface the four-year-olds, I feel, but it's challenging enough. Um, then when you come to the five-year-olds, it's a totally different step up. All of a sudden, there is collection expected, expected out of the horses, um, counter-canter, simple changes, turn on the haunches. Um, I think even a rain back, actually, I don't know the test on top of my head, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's a totally different level of expectation once you come up to the five-year-old test. I love it. So, um, you've got your canter walk transitions as well. Is that something you do a lot with the five-year-olds? Um, if, yeah, if they're going to do the five-year-old test, they, they obviously have to, learn to do the walk canter canter walk transitions you know that's a um a fairly difficult movement i think to to teach to young horses uh and it's a big jump up from doing that simpler tests on the uh that the four-year-olds are doing so so um, let's talk a little bit about the young horse test because they're the expectations are a little bit different than say the normal technical test, first level, second level, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you, you know. So I, I think, um, especially when you come into this simple changes idea and 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 that that um, I think from my own perspective, my own horses, that I'm not trying to really perfect that movement. That it has to be completely, you know, kind of collected canter right away, walk right. I mean, there is some allowance for some mistakes and some some small problems, and you know, and you're thinking about you know, really doing a good job of training and not putting all this expectation of um, executing perfect transition. What are your thoughts on that idea? Um, you know, it, it's it's a progression. Uh, you know, obviously, when I start training the simple changes for the for the five year olds, it's not the way it's in the test. You know, I don't ride. I will not ride a pattern and go walk canter and then go straight into counter canter, et cetera. You know, so it's a, it's a progression of maybe I start with the trot canter transitions and then I immediately go back to trot and then walk and then, um, use the same spot as that was my canter depart spot. I used that for my walk to canter transition. So it simplifies it a little bit. Um, maybe I use, uh, for counter canter, I used the first three counter canter loop uh, as a way to introduce the counter canter, and you know, and then you kind of build on that. So it doesn't happen all in one session, so to speak. You know, it it it's a progression, um, and you have to kind of keep in mind that as you're training the the young horse, is it you know. You, you have to know your horse. You have to listen to it and, and um, you know, what, what's going on? Why am I having um, all of a sudden issues? Is it maybe sore from the training um, or does it need a little break from the training in the indoor and need, need to go out for 
for some trail riding or change it up with some free jumping or, or Cavaletti's, uh, you know, I, I think the variety in the training for me is, is really important with young horses because I want them to stay fresh in the brain and I want them to be excited to come in the ring and, and work. Um, so. And Michael, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, people who are not familiar with how the young horse tests are judged and, and what the difference is from, you know, the technical side of, of the sport. And I understand that you don't get a mark for every single movement and, and, and how, and tell us how that right. goes. Yeah. So like you said, it's, it's not each movement that does not get uh, scored. So it doesn't necessarily become end of the world. If you have a mistake here and there, um, what really counts in the young horse classes is the gates. Um, you have, a total of five scores, uh, the walk, the trot, the canter, um, submission, um, or I think now it's a different terminology for the submission score, but, um, and then general impression. Um, so it, it, when you really look at it, you only have five scores. So in order to do well in the young horse classes, you need to have at least two fairly good quality gates. Um, I, I would say you should have, you should have three confident gates yeah. that, that are, are solid, yeah. you know, and then, <laughs> um, the training needs to be there too. You know, it's, I think it's, I think it's tough to present a five-year-old early in their five-year-old year and be ready. That, that means that you, you've had to have that training already in the fall of their four-year-old year. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. you know, they, again, it's, it's different from horse to horse and some horses, they, they, they bloom late. So they, they're growing a lot and, and maybe they're not finished um, their physical development until later in the five-year-old year. So you kind of have to adjust a little bit in, in your training plans. You know, it's always great to have a goal, but um, goals can be changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that that's it. You know, that's the big thing with the young horses is, you know, the way they are now, they maybe not maybe in three months, they're exactly, not yeah. quite like that. You know, it's hard. So with a five-year-old, how, how many times a week do you work a five-year-old? Um, again, it depends. Each, each horse is a different individual. So, mm-hmm. um, it really matters on, on each specific horse, but I would say on average, I probably work them five days a week. Mm-hmm. And one of those w- days is probably would be a trail ride um, or take them on the track and canter them. Um, you know, and each day I worked and they worked in a ring, it's not necessarily 45 minutes. It might be 15, 20 minutes. I get on, I feel like I accomplished what I needed. Uh, maybe that day is just working on connection and walk track canter, uh, and then they're done. Um, so it, it really varies, uh, um, depending on the horse. Um, and for me, like five days of working, it's, again, it's not always that you come in the ring and you work 45 minutes. That's not, um, you know, it's not the time that you're sitting on their back. It's the quality. So, Yeah, that's like a very that. good point. Yeah, I like that a lot. I was also thinking about, you know, um, as you're progressing the horse. I mean, that for me, that five-year-old test doesn't encompass everything that I'm, you know, doing to, to train the five-year-old, you know. Um, I have two of them this year and, 
yeah. one of the important aspects, I think, is starting to teach some leg yield and some moving away from and And then that's not in that test, right? So right. Um, right. I'm always, you know, kind of thinking about progressing. Um, so normally I would show a five-year-old in the first level classes, you know, uh, if they're not super special or, or whatever. But, yeah. you know, what are some other things that, some other, that you're trying to do in the horse's training that aren't necessarily you know, towards the FEI young horse classes, but some, some things that you have to get done to just to train that horse properly so that, you know, they, they continue to, to progress in their work. Um, you know, like, like you said, leg yield is, is a, is a good, uh, point to bring up. It's, it's something that I introduced to the horses. I might already introduce it end of their four year old year. Um, and sometimes even the, uh, earlier in the four-year-old year, I, I will introduce the leg yield. And th- again, it's not the type of leg yield that we see in the show ring. It's it's sort of a baby version of it. it it's not about how steep the leg yield is. It's more about um, yielding correctly to the inside leg. And, and uh, if that takes me the whole long side to go from center line out to the rail, you know, that's I'd rather that than than I feel than they they run away from my inside leg and uh, in in half the size of the arena they go from center line to the track if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you know leg yield. We've talked about that quite a bit on the show and just how it's supposed to carry the rider forward and over and not just falling exactly, to the yeah. side. You know, so I think that's an important you know an important aspect of the five year old year is also the horse developing more push you know so uh, if i think about you know in four year four year old we'll show maybe the training level and now five years old we'll show first level then we're introducing uh lengthenings where the horse is developing more power from from behind the saddle and on the horse's hindquarters and for the special ones the ones that you've already developed a little bit that power then maybe you develop collection for the fei test but um, for the ones that might be a little bit weak or really growing, I mean, I, I just, you know, I'm talking about, I have two five-year-olds and one is like 17, one, and one is like 16, two, you know, they, so yeah. one's become very mature quickly. And the other one is taking a, a much longer time to kind of grow up and grow into his body and put muscle on. So, I mean, you, you, like you said, there's a big variance in, in the horses of, in this, in the four-year-old, five-year-old year that you have to really adjust your program so the one can collect okay and the other one can't collect he's just we're developing his push power but i think that's something you know that's uh can be tricky in 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 five years old you know making sure they have enough push that then you can collect and you don't rush through that phase so uh, i guess do you have anything to add add to that kind of idea of what the horses should be learning and how you're careful about developing them no i i think that that's very valid points that you bring up because it's it's again it it varies very different from horse to horse you know like you said some some of these uh, tall giants that are seventeen plus hands you know it when at four or five it takes them a little time to kind of figure out their balance and uh, figure out where they have their legs so you kind of have to adjust accordingly I, I think there there is a um, you know, through author education, um, I feel it's always important that you're you're focusing on the, on the connection um, and working on on the straightness. That's sort of the 
I think the bread and butter behind uh, everything that you're doing, like you can, if they're ready to work on a collection or starting to be able to collect, but you don't really have a good connection and then you ask for more impulsion, it's not going (laughs) to, you know, it it Mm. it doesn't, um, it won't really work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to come to a good end in in three months. Yeah, or something. exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, and and it it it's the the very basic stuff is very important to to focus on, um, and it doesn't mean that um, you know, like you said, every every five year old is not a um, doesn't have to do the five year old test, and I don't I don't think every um, five-year-old will fit in the five-year-old test um, just of what's expected. So, um, and there's nothing wrong in, in doing, focusing on the training level test and the first level test instead, you know, they can be very successful. It doesn't mean that the horse is not going to be a successful dressage horse. Yeah. I think, I think you should start from the bottom and work your way up and, and eventually you'll get somewhere. Right. But if you, Rush, you're going to have to end up going backwards anyway at some point. I exactly, think. yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's really a tricky year also for horses' mental development because, I mean, you're starting to really ask some, maybe some tougher questions of the horse, right? And and coming uh-huh. to this stage in their life, they've, you know, had a good time and I, I like to take them out on walks, you know, and just make sure that they're solid individuals. But then when you start to ha- ask some questions, um, I've had a you know a couple of horses, maybe a few, that have kind of t- tried to figure out if they have to work or or whether mm-hmm. they they yeah. have to do the job and yeah. uh, you know because I I think about this stage as being you know a horse's teenage stage where there can be a little bit of rebellion in there or you know just to to try you know they realize that they're really big and riders are quite small and we don't have a lot of um, you know power to do much if they decide they want to. You know, I've had some horses stop, you know, all, all kinds of different things, right? And just to, to, to test out their strength and power. So well, do you have any thoughts on, you know, kind of the, the horses that maybe will have, you'll see some misbehavior or or uh, any thoughts on, on that idea? Um, I, I mean, I think, I think it goes, it starts a little bit earlier even, uh, you know, yeah. even with, Mm-hmm. With our three and four year olds, we we I set a certain expectation of what I expect when I put my leg on. I, you know, on, on a three year old, I have expectation what the connection should be like. Um, that when I put my leg on, I I feel them push into the bit, um, and that that's important that I get that established early on in the three year old year. It's not that I'm looking for them to carry like a second level horse, um, but there is an expectation of how their hindlet should react when I apply my leg um, and come over the back in, into the connection and, and really um, strengthen that relationship between the hind leg and the bit over the back. And that for me is really important really uh, even early on uh, when they're three and when they're four. And then when I start asking a little more um, difficult questions, when I take the step up from 
um, the very basic addition and attract, uh, subtraction, I go more to pre-cal and calculus questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not such a big deal. Um, if I have addressed those things early on and, and really focused on those basic stuff, um, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that just because I focused on those uh, very basic things in the training scale early on in their life, I still do it later on when they're five or six or eight or 10. It, it, it always is part of how I start the training session. I ask those same questions um, really is to check how, how, what horse do I have today? Um, is it the horse that I had a fabulous ride on yesterday or do I have to stay a little bit longer on working on the reaction to my leg and establishing a better connection? You know, it it could be a million reasons why they don't feel as good today as they felt yesterday. Uh, but um, unfortunately, they can't tell us that. So we, <laughs> that would make our we life have easier. To figure out. <laughs> so, Michael, uh, along those lines, like, how do you figure out whether you're having a, uh, a saddle fit problem or a muscle problem or how do we evaluate whether it's you know that might be the issue or it might be a little bit of a discipline issue how do you go about you know figuring out those problems with young horses in general i think uh, that's a really tough question for anyone you know for for trainers and owners alike you know how when, when to back off a little bit when to try and push yeah. through a problem and and so how do you go about it in your own training in your own uh, program I think with young horses, when you run into to problems or issues, um, you can do it a little bit by elimination of, okay, maybe I think it's a saddle, so maybe I try a different saddle, or maybe I check with my vet if they recommend some body work on a horse, um, some chiropractic work. You know, sometimes you can... Um, chiropractic treatment could um, alleviate, you know, some training issues you might have, um, or you might have a chiropractor just say, you know, it's just normal soreness. It's, I don't really see anything here. Uh, saddle looks good, blah, blah, blah. And then, so then you can kind of move on to the next step and say, okay, well, what else do I need to look at? Um, do I need to change something in my training program? Um, do I need to give them a break from the training regimen that I'm currently on and maybe switch to something else, you know? So um, I think there's, there, there's lots of possibilities. You can just have to have an open mind to yeah. be able to pick and choose what you want to uh, look at. But I think with that said, you, you, you should change one thing at the time. So, you know, okay, I changed the saddle. That didn't change anything. Okay. Well, but let's look at, you know, what, whatever it might be, um, if, you know, so yeah. if, it, if it's a bit, for example, like, okay, now I changed a bit and see mm-hmm. if I get an improvement. There has to be a um, systematic yeah. way to do it, right? Yeah. Exactly. I think it's not changing a new thing every day. I every think day. You yeah, you change the saddle, ride three times, <laughs> change the bit, ride exactly. a few times, right? I mean, one time yeah. doesn't tell you one thing or another, exactly. right? Or exactly. He has to adjust. I think one of the biggest things, for me and um just in general is just you know if you have somebody close by 
you know, uh, as trainers, we have a really great big network that we can bounce ideas off of and we can use video or, you know, get somebody out to say, Hey, you know, can you come look at this horse? You know, maybe have someone ride it and, or, you know, pay to have your trainer out. Right. And, and, uh, yeah, exactly. or, you yeah. know, ship the horse somewhere and say, I'm having a yeah. problem, you know, especially, especially, you know, when it starts, right. That's the time to kind of look at things right away and say, okay, can we get, get ahead of this? You know, um, don't wait for three, six, eight months and then say, oh, now I'm exhausted. Now you know, this problem has been pervasive for for this long time and I just can't solve. I think just being on top of things and really trying to think ahead of, you know, what you're going to do and what's next. And, and uh, I think because a young horse that learns uh, a bad behavior or is having a, a pain issue, uh, learns that stuff really fast and, you know, can learn to not like the riding or can learn that if they do something, they can get out of work. I think, you know, like you can't sit on these problems, you know, because, uh, the horses become very reactive, very fast and learn very fast at this stage in life, which is great when it's going well, but it's awful when it's mm-hmm. going badly. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. advice on this is to be on top of things all the time, really quickly. I think it makes total sense. And, and I think young horses, are, you know, they're using muscles that they've never used before. And it's like, you know, when I go to the gym, I use muscles sometimes I've never used before, you know, I'm sore and, and that <laughs> happens. It, and I think that has to be part of, as you're developing these horses, they, they do, they need some support and you do need to be on top of, you know, does the bit fit or did his mouth change or all those things. So I think it's part part of be, being a good young horse rider and developer. So Michael, thank you so much for coming onto our show. If our listeners had any questions, how could they reach you online? They can reach me via email. Uh, my email is michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at hilltopfarminc.com. Fantastic. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Dr. Rose's Remedies Skin Treatment Salve and Spray are 100% all-natural products. They are anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antiviral, and antifungal. Dr. Rose's are made with all human-grade ingredients and are safe and effective for treatment for all manner of cuts and scrapes on your horse. And Dr. Rose's is the must-have product here at the Horse Radio Network headquarters to keep PT Scooter's delicate white pasterns free from dew poisoning and scratches. Ask for Dr. Rose's at your local tax store or feed supplier or visit them online at drrosesremedies.com. That's drrosesremedies.com. tonight we are so happy to have our friend FEI rider and trainer and long lighting extraordinaire Richard Malgram on the show Richard welcome to the show thank you very much Uh, what did you think a little bit about the Carl Hester clinic that happened here at global last week well I really really loved it and I I you know I think he's such a good communicator obviously he's got all the you know, the backing up from uh, all his uh, Olympic uh, participations and medals and and years of experience, you know. And so that always is helpful, you know, when especially when you then agree with the philosophy and, and uh, when you have somebody like that that, that really um, uh, gives, 
gives that uh, same perspective, you know. So um, I I was thrilled and I sat and really, really enjoyed all the, the different horses. And there were six horses, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a one theme that I would want to talk about, and that was every single horse he wanted to uh, to stretch, you know, uh, and open up its back, you know, and that, that was, you know, so fun to see, even from the young five-year-old uh, and all the way up to Jan Ebeling's, um, you know, schooling the Grand Prix movement. For, for those of us who weren't there, um, tell us a little bit about the format. Was it basically... Uh, lesson teaching or you know how what, what was what was the format of the of the discussions yeah i think it was i mean it was uh the the horse had probably come in a little bit warmed up uh and then um i don't know exactly the, the time that he had with each horse but uh um uh, but he did uh you know touch on on um on on how uh you know what he you know, wanted to see in the horse and the basic gates of the horse. And, uh, and then he, uh, he wanted to, um, to get the, uh, the message across, you know, so, you know, it was kind of a both instructing and lecturing in the same, same time of, of theme. It was definitely not just a lesson to, uh, to the, the rider horse combination, but it was definitely, uh, towards the great audience that was there, you know, so they could really uh, uh, see, you know, the the format and and the and the, the theme that he had through the uh, the clinic. Yeah. So yeah, because I have seen uh, Carl. He was here in Canada last fall, and I think he was on the East Coast as well last fall. Um, and people seem to get a lot out of his uh, his instruction in a way in the way that he talked about each horse's individual problems, but also overall theme on, on how we should be developing our horses. And I think that's what you're getting into there, Richard, about, about the stretching and that the, you know, the horses have to be above everything else, really relaxed and really willing and really not always ridden tight and in, sh- in a show frame. And really, you know, cause we, we can see a lot of riders these days really try and kick and you know for lack of better terms kick and pull the horses together in a tight frame and then you know just do a test pattern and are are not really addressing you know kind of an overall development of the horse in, you know in a correct way of all the muscles getting being able to be long and short so and and Reese and Richard and I were just discussing this before uh we came on air and just how nice it's to to see that from a very successful rider and a successful coach and teacher and mentor really you know get get back down to the basics with all the horses and and focus on um you know correct i I think i use the term sometimes you know classical but really i think that's just um the way of developing the horse uh through the back and 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 in a in a quiet way and and uh, that's nice to see from Carl. I think that you know that's kind of my point. So, yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. And and that's the the thing is, you know, I don't necessarily always, you know, classical, modern. What you know, it's it, this is a sport that you know it's been around since nineteen twelve in the Olympics in Stockholm. You know, and and uh, you know, it's just a way that we have uh, that we have um, trained 
horses, you know? And, and so it's like the same thing that, you know, a tennis player, uh, has trained, um, in tennis, you know, have things changed, you know, the athletes have gotten, you know, better, the, the tennis rackets and the balls and, and so forth. But the, the, the ground strokes and the rules of the, of the game, you know, are the same, you know? And so I just think that, you know, there is no shortcuts, you know? And, and I really think that that was uh, displayed very, very clear in his clinic. And that's, again, another part of why I really liked it, you know, because, you know, again, you get a horse in your stable and you don't know the, pr the previous of that, you know? And so you, you got to analyze what you have and, <clears throat> and every horse is on its own journey, you know? And, um, and it's like the five-year-old, you know, he might be ready to do the five-year-old test, but he might not because he had an injury as a four-year-old. And then he's like 17, two and very awkward when he arrives to your stable as a, th as a five-year-old. And then it wouldn't be fair to do the five-year-old, you know? And so we have to take those things in consideration uh, when, we, when we look at the individual horses. Richard, one of the other things I really liked about the clinic was um, we saw there were six horses, but we, start, we started with a junior rider, and then we saw a young rider. Uh, actually, we started with a young, younger horse, and then a junior rider, then a young rider, and then they went into the small tour. So there's an I-1 horse and then a kind of a developing Grand Prix horse and a Grand Prix horse. Um, and one of the things that I thought was interesting was how he handled and worked with the young riders. Um, did, it, I just found, like, he didn't treat them like a young rider, if that makes sense. I mean, he really treated them like real riders. Did you notice that as well? Yeah, and I think that it was interesting to see. There was one girl that he asked to do um, a turn on the haunches, and... <laughs> And he got yep. a little big and, 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 uh, and then he was like making a, a little comment about that. And, and, uh, and then he had the girl actually going to a kind of a, a half pass in the walk and then turn the horse, you know, on the haunches, you know, around, because again, that would set up the same aids, you know, and then they got really quite nice. But I think that's, again, the thing about being able to break things down, you know, because, you know, obviously there is a lot to ride in front of Carl Hester. And then on top of that, you got like a thousand, you know, however many people were there, but it was like a big group. So, you know, it's obviously a little bit of nerves too, uh, involved in it, you know, but, but I do think that that's, that's a really gift, you know, to be able to break down things, you know, in, in simple matters, you know, uh, when you run into something, because we all can get in that point where it's like a block, you know, and, um, and then louder, uh, and yelling doesn't solve it, <laughs> you know, mm, it, no, it makes it worse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, I, I, uh, I think that, you know, it was really interesting to see that variety. Uh, somebody has commented to me that they wish there would have been an amateur. Um, uh, and that's just because, you know, I think this sport in America, it's about 90% of amateurs in it. Uh, and, um, you know, so they are the biggest part of our, of our industry. And so, you know, you can't really blame them, um, that they think that, you know, they, they should be, be, have a little bit of a part of it too. Uh, and I think that, you know, you can look at that in different ways. You can say, well, that you need to develop your, your eye and, and you need to see it from as most ideal, but, uh, 
but again, it's, it's, um, it's the same. I just think that, you know, if you have a, an amateur, you know, then they could have very well placed in the clinic, you know, because he's such a good teacher, you know, oh, yeah. uh, that he could do that, you know, uh, well, and they again, had a pretty short time. In, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it, it was only uh, the the whole class was only they called it a master class. It was only three hours, and they really, I think, they really tried to have horses from. There was a, a horse from Great Britain. There was a horse, a Canadian horse. Uh, there were horses all over. You know, it wasn't just American riders and American. I thought they did a a pretty good job. And you know, I I personally have seen amateurs that. Um, they ride better than a lot of professionals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, 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 I didn't, I, it didn't strike me as anything other than, I mean, that they had two essentially juniors. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I, I, I thought amateurs, I've seen some really good amateurs. So they would have had. Oh, absolutely. No, no. I just, I just said again that I've heard somebody say yeah. that, you know. That was and, interesting. And again, it's, it's, it's not, um, you know, uh, it's not that it, it it's, it shouldn't be there or should be there. I just think that it was, it's an interesting comment, you know, mm-hmm. and it is interesting yeah. to know that again, our industry are, you know, the majority is amateurs. Then again, you know, can you, should you say that, you know, should, you know, where is the best way of giving, having Carl give his wisdom to, you know, is it to a trainer that can get the information and then, then disperse it like rings on water to his or her students. You know, that's how I always sometimes, see it you know uh, uh that it's like if you have a chance to to work with such an incredible rider then then that can be then passed on you know mm-hmm. to uh to other people so uh, anyway i just uh i just you know i again just really really liked his his uh, uh his approach to each horse and to um uh and the theme of of making a, a you know, healthy, sound horse that is going to have a long career, you know, and, uh, and, um, you know, I think that that's also something that's interesting in today's, uh, dressage, you know, is like, how long, how long are they in sport, you know, and we all know that things can happen with these horses and stuff. But again, if, if we do train them, that was why dressage initially was, was, um, initiated it was so that the military horses would last longer you know uh so that we started to ride them you know ambidexter to both sides and so that they could they could have uh, a longer lasting uh, military career period you know so yeah that's, that's a really good way yeah it's a good way to you it's know really think about it, it think back to the origins of training a horse i mean you don't want a horse yeah. that goes to grand prix and then breaks down a year later then you have to train it because it, i mean we know that it takes so long to train them if we're training correctly and doing it in the right way then we want to be able to ride that you know beautiful balanced correctly muscled horse over a long period of time because it takes so long to get them there you don't you know you got to think in 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 the longer terms of things and having 15 16 18 year old horses that are still competing i think that's really you know kind of the point we want to really help horses in their careers and and give them longevity and and uh, and and a good life and good quality and not be in pain all the time and and that kind of thing. So, yeah. I think yeah. yeah, it just comes back to correct training produces that I yeah. think as its goal yeah. and not always flashy flashy movement as the goal. You know. No, no, absolutely. 
and again, it, it goes back to a little bit about, you know, leg movers versus back movers, you know, and, uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, obviously a very kind of hot topic, you know, um, where you can get a lot of, a lot of, you know, flashiness, but then you do a lot of times sacrifice the, uh, the mobility in the back, you know, and coming over. And, um, and again, that's, um, that is something that, uh, that at the end of the day, you know, our sport are, you know, determined by the judges, you know, uh, they are the ones that are, are scoring and they are the ones that whatever they reward, that's what people are gonna, are gonna ride, you know? And, and that's why for me, it was just so like unbelievable. Great. When, when the Legro came into the, you know, to the world, uh, stage and then also, uh, Damon Hill, you know, you know, so like the, the, 2012 Olympics, you know, it really, really, uh, took a, a new stage in my opinion from where we had been a little bit with Selenero and, uh, you know, the controversial Totalas and, and this, but, you know, then with Vallegro and Damon Hill and that it, it just really, uh, made a big, big shift in a positive way, I think, uh, for the sport, you know, and I think that, you know, we hope we can continue ride on those, those horses now that Bellegro is, is, uh, retired and, uh, that there are, you know, other horses that can take on that torch, you know, uh, and carry on and promote the classical and the real, you know, way of, of, uh, of, uh, of being trained. And Carl said that in the clinic, you know, how it took a long time for Bellegro to really, really stretch, you know, and how, they had to work. And I think if I re- remember exactly, he said, you know, he didn't really do like a full blown, you know, stretch until he was like seven years old, uh, which I think is very remarkable to hear, but that means that they've been continuing working on that. Even if the horse is starting to obviously at seven years of age, starting to do collective works and stuff, but, 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 uh, he was still having a little hard time to, to doing the full stretch, you know? And, um, I think those things are, very fascinating uh, to hear when you hear a little bit of backstories about how how good horses uh, being uh, being trained and, and how their journeys are because that's how I believe you know every single one of them have their own journey. Yeah, it's so true, um, and I just think that that's such a good thing for people to remember, um, and, and that they bring into this is it, 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 they being Carl Hester and Charlotte um, they the horses are treated like horses and they're ridden well. And, um, that's showcased in the way that they train them. And I think that that's always a good reminder for us all. Um, because we do want to train our horses to have healthy, happy athletes at the end of the day. So that's, that's always fun to see. And I thought that that did really show through. If you ever get a chance to sort of, you know, watch, uh, Carl, I had seen Charlotte in person. Um, and they actually are very different in their styles. Um, Carl's is, you can see why he's the trainer and, and he does all that. So, um, it was really, it was a, it was a fun experience. I thought it was great for all of Wellington to see and, and to hear. And, um, Richard, do you have any final, final statements about the clinic? No, I mean, just that, that, uh, you know, he was, uh, very much about like, um, cross training, which is, you know, I grew up, my father was an event rider. And, and so not that I've ever gone, you know, cross country eventing, but it's like, that's been my background because that's what he did, you know? And, uh, and so I just have always, 
enjoyed cross training and then to hear Carl saying, you know, we were only in the arena, you know, so many days and then we go outside and, and, uh, we canter in the field and, uh, and, and we used to hack our horses down to the beach in Sweden where I grew up and, uh, you can still do a downward transition from canter to trot with the same, you know, principles down by the beach as you do in the 20 by 60 when you're being judged because it's through consistency, you know, that horses learn, you know, and, uh, and repetition. So we can't, you know, we can't deviate just because we are down by the beach, then we don't care. And then, but when we're in the 20 by 60, we care, but no, but it's like a variety of things, but we still have high standards. And that's, that's really, you know, what I, uh, what I believe in. And that's what I, I heard and saw, and it was my first time to, um, have uh, seen him in live teaching and giving a clinic. I've had friends that have participated both in the Canadian uh, clinic that he did this fall and also in the one that was in the the Northeast in Maine. And I've just heard so many positive things from them. And so I was so excited to be able to to participate and hear uh, his uh, uh, masterclass here in, in Wellington. So I think it was... A, a super injection uh, of positiveness for our sport of dressage. And there's been a lot of talk and buzz and, and, uh, and obviously, you know, some things written up and now here we are continuing talking about uh, this, uh, this masterclass. So yeah. yeah, it was great. Awesome. I love it. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time. And how can our listeners find you online if they have any questions about your business and your long lining, which we are going to talk about uh, in our next segment. Uh, you know, probably Facebook, uh, is uh, the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, I don't really have a, a website. Uh, so, um, you know, Richard Momgren, um, on social media, Facebook is, is probably the best way to, to reach me. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, today, Phil, we have a great Total Saddle Fit tip of the week, but we just want to talk real quickly about the shoulder relief synthetic girth. We both use this, and yes, we use it in our barns on a daily basis, and I, I love this girth. I've had a lot of success um, with this girth, I probably have three horses that go in it right now. How about you, Phil? Uh, I just basically use it on the one. I think, well, for me, I like all of the horses to have their own stuff so that, you know, if I need to get on one, you know, mm. in order of things that they all have their own girths and stuff. But uh, I, re- I really like this girth. I, I use it on kind of a pudgier horse. I don't want to insult him, but uh, he's a little bit rounder. <laughs> he's a little bit rounder and I decided to kind of switch to this girth. He was going in the normal one, but then Justin sent this one to me and I was like, this is the perfect girth for this horse because his saddle would roll a little bit side mm-hmm. to side. And so with the ergonomic shape of the shoulder relief girth, I thought, okay, if this, this is going to hold the saddle in place, then I'm going to be a big fan. And it does. And it did works really good, mm-hmm. really great price point on this girth and really low maintenance. So Mm-hmm. I think those are there's just a ton of reasons why you could uh, you should like this girth. It's antimicrobial. You can hose it off. It's great for the summer, fine in the winter. So, yep. I think, yeah, yeah big fan. Big and they hold up right really away. well. 
Yeah. yeah, they actually they they really. So I've had problems with synthetic girths not holding up, and this girth holds up really well. So, really like it a lot. So excellent! And uh, as always, you can find all the girths at totalsaddlefit.com. And Justin is always great with questions. If you have any question, and he is his email is Justin at totalsaddlefit.com. So Phil, you've got a great listener question this week. What you got? Well, we got a listener that decided to send us uh, a couple of questions here. I think we're going to tackle the first one first. Um, this is this question uh, I get quite a bit, actually, in the training. So it's about uh, uh, trained horses, uh, upper-level horses, schoolmaster horses, that the, the listener, Jen, in Ohio, has decided to ask um, a question about snaffle versus double bridles. Do you always... You know, once the horse is introduced to the double bridle, do you always ride it in the double bridle? Are there some horses that are better in the snaffle? You know, do you how much are you riding in the snaffle an upper level horse? How much are you riding the double? What you know, how is this built into your training? So, um, I'll throw I can throw it to you here, Reese, and you can yeah, talk about that. Sure. And well, I think the first part of that question is it depends. <laughs> Yeah. And every horse is a little bit different. And, and it comes here too. Um, one of the things that I really try to do, if, if possible, is I like between the snaffle and the double to have the bradoon and the snaffle bit be the same bit. Uh, that's not always possible, but in a lot of cases it is. So you end up having to sort of buy a snaffle and buy a bradoon. Um, but I do like, if I can, to keep those similar. Um my, I have two horses right now in doubles, um, on a on a upper level basis right now on a on a day. You know, I ride them daily, and you know, I almost always start my week out in a snaffle. Uh, that's just me. I kind of we call it Monday, and I I like to on a Monday put my horses in a snaffle. Um, it just sort of gets the week started. That's just how I like to do it, but that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Um, and I, I mean, I, in an ideal world, a horse can do a Grand Prix in a snaffle. Um, as we all know, for a lot of reasons, that it's not a ideal world. And we can't always do what we want. So, again, it really just takes some understanding and time and, and working with that horse to decide which way they want to go. I've had some horses you can switch them every day and it doesn't matter. And then I have some horses that hate that. And that if they sort of start in a double, you need to finish in the double. They know they don't, they don't like to switch back and forth between the two. So again, I think it just really depends on your horse and, and how that horse is. Um, again, I, I put them in, I even starting a horse in a double, it really depends. Um, if the horse is ready, I when, when they're six, I like to kind of start playing with it. And that's a general, very general term. Like, oh, you know, let's kind of introduce this. Um, but I have a lot of horses right now in my barn that were eventers. And now they're dressage horses. And they've switched. And those guys are pretty easy because they're used to having sort of a lot of stuff in their mouth. Uh, so what we put in their mouth, they're like, oh, this is nothing. So um, that's something. But as a general rule, I like it on a Monday or a hack day or lighter day. I'll put them in a snaffle. Uh, but that doesn't mean I want, I want to be able to ride my horse and do the Grand Prix and, and whatever I put them in. So that's kind of where I am. Phil, where are you? What do you think? I think it's interesting because, um, most recently they've changed some of the rules around mm-hmm. riding uh, fourth level through Grand Prix and that you are allowed in the national levels to the national ride levels, the horse yep. all the way to, Grand Prix mm-hmm. in a snaffle, if that's your mm-hmm. choice. 
which is great because there are uh, a few horses that don't like the double at all. Don't go well in the double. Don't like it too much bits, you know, and and so that can be problematic, which is really, you know, if you can do it, if you can do the Grand Prix in the snaffle, go ahead, you know, more power to you. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, if the horse is, if you want to do any kind of CDI competition, you have to be introducing the horse to the double bridle because it's mandatory. Um, so, that, you know, that's kind of uh, an interesting thought process. And, you know, when the horse is coming around to third level, fourth level, you know, what you want to do. And um, in general, most horses are totally okay with a double and it's, it'll be fine. And, you know, and so... Um, you can put it on. You can see how it works, um, how the horse likes it, and you know all this kind of stuff. So, um, to answer the specific question, um, my horses in general will go in the double all the time because uh, they don't mind it. It's fine. You just train them. I don't see a bunch of reasons why you should be switching back to the snaffle, um, unless the horse is a bit nervous or a little bit uptight, or you know if you have a problem with the double. Um, saying that have come across a few horses and then, you know, I would switch back to the snaffle in light training days and hacking days and, in these kinds of situations. But if I'm training the horse to be developing him or her to the Grand Prix, then of course they have to be doing, doing it in the double. If it's an older schoolmaster horse, then, you know, the horse is fully trained. Everything's good. You know, you've gotten to where you're going to get in your training, then, then go backwards a little bit and, and try and do everything in the snaffle. Um, so again, it's just unique to each horse, I think. And, you know, depending on how, you know, what you're doing, whether you're getting ready for show season, then you want to be riding in the double bridle. If you are coming off of show season, then you, I tend to switch back towards the snaffle and then, you know, have uh, a couple of months where they're just relaxing, doing a lot. Of, we do a lot of hacking in the fall, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I, I don't really think it's great to be switching back and forth kind of daily, you know, and now I'm going to ride the saddle, now I'm going to ride the, you know, and just sort of confusing the horse or, um, you know, but the other thing is that it, you have to learn to ride in the double in a correct way, you know, with supervision and to, you know, not be hanging on the, on the Bradoon and using, using that as a riding tool. I think it's just, you know, that little bit of leverage can help in the training, but then you have to learn to ride correctly with soft hands and, you know, all the stuff that we talk about every week. So um, it's just a little bit of a tool to help the training, not a crutch to be used all the time. And, you know, so like if you're riding around in a double and you feel, oh, this horse feels great, then you can let the, the curb rein go, you know, you can tie it up and, you know, and just ride off the snaffle. That, that's why it's a double bridle. It has two bits to allow you to, you know, use the, the, use them independently. And, and so you can kind of think about it in that way, you know. If you don't put any pressure on the curb bit, then you're not really using it. So, you know, you're, you're, you're doing good and the horse is going fine. Yeah, that's kind of kind of my thoughts. Uh, um, yeah, it's a again, good question. Really a lot of people, a lot of people it, ask it. Like, mm -hmm. should I, you know, should I train a pirouette and then next day do a pirouette in the snaffle bridle just to show that I can? Well, mm, yes, yeah. but yeah, I, I, probably not. <laughs> yeah, probably, the horse probably isn't going to be able to do that. Honestly, maybe, but maybe, but yeah, I mean, good if you can. I, I, I guess. Yes, I, exactly. I, I really like to have a theory and a purpose behind everything that I'm doing, mm -hmm. not just doing it to say that I can or to, just to 
be switching around, you know, and, and uh, you'd like things to make sense, right? So that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Well, thank you guys for the tip. That was great. And thanks for Total Saddle Fit for continuing their sponsorship of it. I wanted to mention that once again this year, this is our fifth year, that the Horse Radio Network will be the official radio network of Road to the Horse, which is the world's leading colt starting competition. It's going to be happening right down the street from Reese's house at the Kentucky Horse Park at the Alltech Arena. And we are very excited to be doing that. Jennifer, my wife, is heading up. And her and Tara Carter, whose husband has competed in it twice, will be doing the commentary. We'll be doing three days of coverage over on Horses in the Morning. So you can find out all the details about that over at HorsesInTheMorning.com. That's coming up uh, the third weekend of March. And we're just excited to be there again. It's the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. It's their 15th annual. And it's the only event that sells out the Alltech Arena every year, all 9,000 seats. So uh, we're looking forward to providing that coverage to you once again. And we will be providing the only live coverage of the finals on Sunday. Also, I wanted to just uh, do, just because he was so influential for us, uh, Dr. Pierce Lyons died today, who is the, was the founder of Alltech. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you heard that, Reese, but um, I did, yeah. yeah, he, um, you know, he was so good to all of us in the press through the WEG in 2010. He was he was terrific with Samantha and I. Who, we did the WEG show back then, and we would not have got. We were so new, and nobody really knew who we are yet. We had done the World of Question Games radio show for two years, and he took a liking to us for some reason. We were turned down for press passes until he made a phone call. And then we had a press pass. That we had a pass that got us anywhere we wanted to go uh, for the entire 16 days because Dr. Lyons made a phone call. So, and you know, the 2010 wagon Kentucky, I don't know that it would have happened without all tech. So, um, he, he was just, he was a friend to us. And, uh, you know, we, we even mm-hmm. saw him recently. Uh, so I was very sad to hear that. I didn't know that there was an mm-hmm. issue there. And, uh, we were, we just want to wish his family and, and all, everybody at all tech the best. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it's a bit blow for our state. He was very influential also in our state and agriculture in Kentucky. So, uh, yeah, that I just saw that actually, and, and I'm very sorry for his family. So, um, yeah, he will be remembered well, in, in for sure, uh, with all those things. So, regards to his family, for sure. And not only that, he'll be remembered every time you go to an amusement park and see Dippin' Dots. Because Alltech was the inventor of Dippin' Dots. I didn't know that. Oh, yep. I really nice. like the bourbon barrel ale in which they also brew. Yes. Uh, there, I knew you were going to bring favorite. that up. <laughs> yep. That's actually my favorite uh, beer. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, Dippin' Dots and beer. Mm, there you go. Yeah. And it seems like the company itself, his son, is uh, was named the the, um, the CEO and, and chairman. So it will stay in their, in their family. So that's uh, nice to hear. So, um, yeah, tough, tough day for sure. So. Well, as always, everyone, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. The best way to find me is probably on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. 
Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.